You are listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ben Stewart. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful brother and our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you, they will tell you everything that's taken place. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who's called Justice, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, I imagine many of you, as I was reading that text, had the question pop in your mind, Why on earth are we reading this section? Tell Archippus to fulfill his ministry. Tychicus is stopping by. Ben, this is normally the section pastors skip. Why are you talking about this, bro? Why would we be reading this? Well, I'll tell you, it's the same reason why 30 million people watched the documentary, The Last Dance, about Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls. (laughs) When you see a team that's successful, you want to know what's happening behind the scenes. So millions of us watched 10 hours about what was going on because we wanted to know what was the vibe like in the locker room? How did they talk to each other? What was happening relationally that allowed them to be a team that was so successful? We want to see behind the scenes of a functioning team. What was the secret to their success? What can I learn from them? What principles and practices can I extract that will inform and shape the way I live my own life? That's why we watch documentaries about people like that. I mention that because that's what this is. This is why these last verses in Paul's epistles are some of my favorite. It's the shout-out section. Tell this guy hi. Say hi to this guy. Say, what's up, Nympha? All this kind of stuff. Why is it there? I'll tell you what it's great for for us is it's the best behind the scenes we have of the early church. That whether you're a Christian or not, it is inarguable that the apostle Paul and his team changed the course of human history that Jesus launched a movement that was really located primarily in one city, definitely in one region. But by the time Paul and his team was done, it was a global phenomenon that this was one of the most successful teams in history. And when you get in sections like this, it's a little window into how they talk to each other 
how they treated each other, how they made decisions and how they interacted. And so we're meant to look at this and extract principles that inform and instruct how we live our own lives. That's, that's what this is for. And so what I love about a section like this is it's gonna give us a biblical vision and a set of biblical values of how to be people who know God and walk with God. But rather than get it as just principles, we get to see it as it's practiced by this early community. Does that make sense? So we'll see the vision in verse seven, and then we'll see some of the values as they play out in the following verses. And the vision, what I love is we see it through the life of a man. He is, he is the model of what we are meant to be as a church. What does the church of God look like? It looks like Tychicus. And in verse seven, he says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Now, Paul, do you remember the apostle who's spreading the gospel in all these Gentile regions, people who weren't of Jewish background, all different nationalities? Paul was moving among these communities and he was preaching and him and Epaphras, the guy who had founded this particular church in Colossae, both of them through their ministry had landed in jail. And so the church in Colossae wanted to know how they're doing, what's going on. It would be like if our global pastor Louis and me landed in prison and I sent Rick to tell you what was going on. You'd wanna know. And so he said, I'm sending Tychicus to let y'all know what's going on. But then as he talks about him, you see kind of the three pieces of the vision of who we're meant to be displayed in this man Tychicus. He says, he's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. He's a beloved brother. We are a community. This is the language Paul would most often use as he talked about the people of Jesus. You are a beloved brother. That Jesus asked once, who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? He said, I'll tell you, those who do the will of God. That's my family. And he was asked to clarify later, what is the will of God? He said, believe in the one he sent. Jesus said, when you believe in me, you're adopted into a family. God is knitting together a family. And what I love about this is this identity comes before any activities take place. The next two titles of Tychicus are about what he does. Faithful servant, etc. He hadn't done a thing here. It's because of what God has done that you're invited to be part of his family. And not just part of his family, you're loved. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we could be called children of God. And such we are. That you can leave here and know, beloved is the most true thing about you if you're in Jesus. And it's before you've done a single thing, his love flies first. Before you do anything for God, he has done everything for you to wrap you up in the beloved. And that's, we're people loved by God, but we're meant to also love each other. Notice Paul has no problem calling this man beloved, which I don't know if we could even do that here. You know, it's kind of a shame. I think in America, we've sexualized so much language that if I walked up to you and said, hey, beloved, you'd be like, "Mm -mm, no, no, right? But for Paul, he has no problem saying that because we're not just a bunch of individuals connected to God. He also knits us together. My three kids don't just happen to all be related to me. I want them to love each other too, right? And here God says, you're a part of a beloved family. You're a community, right? You're meant to commune together. And if COVID's taught us anything, it's that we need us. So let me get this out of the way. Every single pastor in America has quoted the recent poll from Gallup that came out in December about the mental health of Americans. Let me just do it myself. Here it is. 
they, they released the res- results of their poll that the mental health of, of everyone in America, self-reported, has gone down in every category, male, female, Republican, Democrat, uh, regardless of age or income. Everyone's mental health has plummeted except one category. What was the one category of people whose mental health improved throughout the season? Those who attend church weekly. That's it. Nearly weekly, occasionally, still down. But it's the people who are woven deeply into the fabric of God's family that stayed strong when the fibers were tested. It was those of us that are in the ship together that have survived this storm and become stronger because of it. We need us. And I like that God's given us this chance to meet each other. For many of us, you haven't even met each other. You're just like, oh, apparently we're in the church together. Yes, behold your family. (laughs) Because Jesus has knit us together by his grace. We are a community, right? But we're not just a group of people that became friends. We're a community with a cause. We're a team with a goal. That's why he moves on and says, he's a faithful minister. We are a movement that's on a mission. There are things that are meant to be done. And so Paul is advancing the gospel through these relationships. And so when he wanted to write a letter to the Ephesians, he's like, the Ephesians need to know God, be strengthened in God. Who can deliver this letter? And Tychicus is like, I got it. So if you've ever been encouraged by the letter to the Ephesians, thank Tychicus, because the dude walked across multiple continents to get it there. And then same with this one, as Paul was writing to the Colossians to help them understand what it is to rest in the grace of God and not try to earn God's approval through work. As Paul's trying to communicate that to them, he's like, somebody's got to tell him. And Tychicus is a faithful brother. What does faithful mean? It means you keep showing up. And so he was like, man, I need someone to deliver this. And Tychicus is like, I got it. So if you've been encouraged at all by the letter of Colossians, some of that gratitude goes towards Tychicus because the man delivered it. It's a community with a cause. We are moving to get things done. And here's the great news about that as a church. These are the two fundamental longings in a human heart. At the baseline of every human being is a longing for belonging and mattering. We want to belong to a community that cares about us. And we want to belong to a cause that requires something great of us. It's true of all of us. And here, the greatest of all causes and the greatest of all communities is offered to us. We get to be the beloved servants of God. That's what the church is. We're not out here just selling widgets. We are offering to people life through Jesus Christ. So he is a fellow, faithful minister, and fellow servant of the Lord. That's the last piece. We are a community with the cause of Christ. It's interesting that word minister he used is the word for servant, but it carries the idea of serving like the activity that you do. And then he uses this word servant of the Lord, which also means servant, but it, it, it carries more the idea of who you're connected to. And I want you to notice Paul doesn't say Tychicus is a servant of mine. He doesn't say Tychicus is a servant of ours. He says he's a fellow servant of the Lord. We have door holders here. That's what we call our volunteers at our church. They're not my door holders. They're not Passion City's door holders. We are fellow door holders in Jesus, that we all belong to him and he's knit us together. And so we're a community chasing the cause of Christ. That's who we are. So that's the vision. That's that's what we're doing here. Why did we show up in this city three years ago and begin to build? Because God has given us this declaration. I'm building a family that has a purpose that will extend into forever. 
and it's through the person of Jesus who's with me. And as Paul preached that, Tychicus said, I'm in. And as Tychicus preached that, others said, I'm in. And on and on it went, and the church has continued to grow throughout centuries, and now it's our turn. And here we are invited into the greatest of all causes. But then another question comes up is, well, then what's the character of the team? It's great to have a great vision, but there's a lot of organizations that have a wonderful vision, but terrible values. And if you don't have good team culture, you're not going to get very far. So as we, in a sense, reboot church, I mean, we've been meeting online and actually grown online and some crazy stuff has happened all through that. But the reality is, in a sense, we're rebooting. As we're coming back online as a church, what are we meant to be like? Well, in the rest of this letter, we're just going to see what is true of the people of Jesus and how we interact with each other. And the first thing you see, again, in this guy, verse eight, he says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and he may encourage your hearts. I love that because he sends him to give him information. I sent him because he knows what's happening to us in jail. He'll let you know. But he doesn't just stop at inspiration. He says, and he's coming to encourage your heart. He's coming to put courage inside your heart. He said, I want my people to not just bring information, but inspiration that you're calling people forward. That's the first thing we do is we bring courage to each other. So as a church, let me just tell you something. We have a choice when we walk into rooms like this. Am I gonna speak words, use the power of communication to breathe courage into you, to encourage you, or to discourage you, to take some courage away? Am I gonna give you some hope in the world by the way I talk to you, or am I just gonna be another person who chips away at your positivity in the world? God's given all of us the power to influence through our mouths, right? And gossip and slander, it discourages. Complaining. How many of you have been in a place where you've just heard someone complain, not even to you, and it's kind of killed your hope in the world? Or how many of you have been into a place where things seemed bad, but someone had a hopeful word and you saw your hope rise? We all have that power. You don't have to work here. But all of us have given the ability to do this. We breathe courage into each other's hearts. Not just information, but inspiration. I want to build you up. That's what we do beforehand. Church, we have what we call our door holder rallies. We did it out there on the steps where we pulled together the people that were serving, transforming the space and get ready. And let me tell you, often they're the best part of a Sunday that we get together and some of them maybe wake up excited to serve the Lord. When the alarm goes off at five, they're like... A chance to worship the Savior? Yes. And off they go. I don't think they all do. So when we rally, we tell Jesus stories. We talk about the good things God has done. And as we do that, people go, you know what? That's awesome. I want to be a part of that. I want a life like that. I want a life that has purpose. I want to go to bed at night knowing that what I did wasn't just mundane rise and grind, but it touched eternity. And the more we talk about each other, we see we're breathing courage into each other. We have that power even if you don't work here. I remember when I first showed up at a new town in college, I knew I need to be a part of a vibrant Christian community. And so I would show up at these Christian events on our college campus. But, but the problem was I'm an introvert. So I would walk in and just find the seat in the furthest in the back and sit there, right? And over time, I noticed none of these Christians were friendly. No one ever said hi to me. So I'd show up at a meeting and they're all talking. Y'all got friends, apparently. No one says hi to me. Y'all are gonna miss me if I'm gone. All right, bye. And I left. And I did that about three, four times. And I remember showing up at one and it was a ministry that I was involved in in a different town and I showed up and I just remember sitting there in the back and no one saying hi to me. And I just remember it got to me. I was like, these Christians, man, 
They're so fake. And I just remember looking around the room and I'm like, look at all these hypocrites, dude. Look at them. And I remember as soon as I did that, it was like the Lord just had a front end alignment for Ben. He was like, hey man, are you a Christian as well? Do you have faith in Jesus? Yes. Are you in this room? Yes. Okay, then you're a part of this. You are contributing to this culture. And what are you doing? And I got convicted. So I turned around and I was in the last row, but there was a guy who had pulled up a chair even further back. It was a pretty bold introvert move. And he was by himself and he was old. And so I was like, this is one of those guys that came back to college, I guess, you know, to complete the dream or something. I was like, I don't know. But I was like, but I'm going to go meet him. And I just went back there and was like, hey, stranger, and just met this guy, summoned all my courage as an introvert to go initiate a conversation. And it turned out he was on staff at a church in the area. He was there to see a friend, but he didn't know any of these kids. And so we just sat by each other and talked and visited and became friends. And he became the pastor of the church. He became my pastor. And he still pastors me today. He and his wife pray for us and love us. And I know him because I realized I'm a part of this. So I'm going to be a part of this. And all of us can breathe courage into a room. We create culture together. That's what we do. In verse 9, he speaks about Onesimus. We'll skip that. We did a whole sermon on him a couple weeks ago. Beautiful picture of the reconciliation available in Jesus. We're going to blow right by. But in verse 10, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. That we don't just bring courage to each other's hearts through what we say. We bring compassion to each other. We extend compassion. This guy, Aristarchus, we could talk about it. We won't get into it. He was a Thessalonian, came to Christ probably under Paul's ministry in Thessalonica, then went with him to Ephesus, where Paul was preaching powerfully in Ephesus, so powerfully, so many people were coming to faith in Jesus that it was hurting the idol-making industry. Less people were buying little idols to worship because they were coming to faith in Christ. And so it made the idol makers mad and they staged a riot. And Aristarchus, you find out in the book of Acts, is one of the guys that got beat up because of Paul's preaching. I'm just here trying to attend church and I get waylaid by some gold workers because of Paul. But Aristarchus says, but you know what? I believe the message, so I'm staying. And even when it cost him some hits, he didn't leave. And he started journeying with Paul to Rome, or to, excuse me, to Jerusalem. Then he got arrested and went with Paul to Rome. And here Paul calls him a fellow prisoner, that even when it's hard, this guy's with me. He's sharing the hard parts with me. He has co-passion. The, the word passion in Greek, pasin, it, it means suffering. It means pain. That's why we call the crucifixion of Jesus the passion of the Christ. It's his pain. So to have co-passion is when you hurt, I hurt. When you weep, I weep. When you mourn, I mourn. I care. And the Christian church, the people of Jesus, are meant to be people who care that we say, I care about you because God cared about me. And so I got some love to extend to you. This is a hallmark of the people of God, that we love each other at the best of times. And even when I got to be a fellow prisoner with you and sit in the hardest of times. Uh, someone asked when we did married night the other night uh, about Donna and I's first date. And I told him about the first one we had where I just kind of took her to this event. But there was this moment where I was like, you know what? All right, now I'm serious about pursuing her. So I invited her to go to this uh, play downtown. And it was the first big date. It was us alone in a car. We had never been alone in a car. It was very exciting. And uh, got her in the car and we're driving downtown, all dressed up to go to this play down into the city. And as we're doing that, I get a call 
And I pick up the phone and it's some dear friends of mine, dear friends. They had just had a little baby, their first, and they brought him home and his little heart wouldn't stop racing. Racing, 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 racing. They realized there's something wrong with his heart. So he was rushed downtown, rushed to neonatal ICU. I get a call because they're some of my deepest friends. We're not sure if our baby's gonna make it. So I hang up the phone and I look at Donna. She's like, change of plans? I was like, yeah, I gotta go. She said, I gotta go over to the hospital. I was like, I can turn around and drop you off? And she said, no, no, I'll go too. It's a key moment in dating. You just here for the good times? Are you here for the hard times? Like, we're about to go to a, a waiting room and I don't know how long this will take and I don't know what the vibe's gonna be when we get there. It's gonna be hard. But she was like, let's go. And we showed up and wouldn't you know it, about seven or eight people from the church were already there waiting. None of them on staff. Wasn't the official guy that's supposed to come do hospital visits. It's just friends because they're at church together. And when you hurt, I hurt. And so when we showed up, a nurse asked us, can we help you? And I said, yeah, we're here for this family. And she was like, oh, you're one of them. And I said, what? And she was like, there's a whole bunch of them. And she said, I've never seen anything like it. And they keep asking us if we can do anything for us. It's weird. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of how my people roll. And uh, I was kind of trying to secret date Donna. That kind of blew it up because they were all there. But what I loved about that moment was when one part of the church suffers, everybody suffers. And look, we got a small staff here. So if you're hurt and I didn't get a call from the staff, yeah, the ratios are way off that, that an official staff person may not be able to, but God's knit together a family that you can be a part of. And we have co-passion. We care about each other. If you hurt, I hurt. It's interesting, even moving in here, we had to load in some gear. This is an old church. This church is like 100 years old and uh, there's no loading dock. So we had to, uh, the only way to load things in was through a crane. And so our productions guys were like, hey, we need a crane to load in here. I, I can't get a crane, can't get a permanent time, can't do any of it. And I was meeting with a group of men and they're like, how's it going? I was like, well, we got this problem. We can't load into this facility because we need a crane to do it. And one of them just instantly, part of our church goes, I got a crane. Hold on. He texts, when you need it. He's like, all right. And a crane loaded in all this gear two days later. Because you got a problem, I got a problem. You got a need, I got an answer. That's how the church works, right? That we encourage each other. We have compassion with each other. And we're conciliatory. I love that word. Thought about dropping it, but decided not to. Verse 10, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. There's something weird about that. Concerning whom you've received instructions. Why do we need instructions about him? That if he comes, I'm supposed to welcome him. Does that mean we wouldn't? There's actually a beautiful biblical drama playing out in this verse. And I wish I could show you all the text that ties to it. I don't have time. But Barnabas, actually, that wasn't his real name. You see, at the beginning of the book of Acts, uh, everyone loves to quote that passage where, where people shared so no one had a need because they all gave to, to whoever had a need. Uh, but then in the book of Acts, as an exhibit A for that, they tell you this guy named Joseph sold some land to give money to people who needed it. And so they called him Barnabas. That wasn't his real name. That was his nickname, meaning son of encouragement. You go, this guy's embodying what we're meant to do. He's just breathing courage, co-passion into us as a community. And so they changed his name. And you see, Barnabas was a guy that loved to encourage people. And then this guy, Saul, who was murdering Christians, radically came to faith and he showed up in Jerusalem and said, I'm a Christian now. And all the Christians were like, doubt it. Seriously doubt it. 
But Barnabas had the courage to go sit with Paul. And then he brought him in front of the church and was like, hey, this dude's legit. Bunch of people that Paul had ticked off were trying to murder him. So Barnabas had to sneak him out to Tarsus. But then as the church expands, it blows up and it moves to this city called Antioch and becomes become this kind of global movement. And so Barnabas goes to check it out. It's like, man, God is moving in the city of Antioch. So Barnabas goes and gets Saul, now the apostle Paul, brings him to Antioch and Paul becomes the first pastor of the first church plant of the Christian church. And they're ministering there together. They go to take needs back to Jerusalem and they link up with Barnabas's little cousin, Mark. And they decide we're gonna go on a mission trip and they bring little Mark with him. And as Mark journeys with him, something happens mid-mission trip and he bails. He leaves him early in the journey. But Paul and Barnabas continue to go preaching the gospel. A lot of commentators think Mark maybe felt uncomfortable because they were jumping the boundaries of the Jewish community and going to people of all different ethnicities. And maybe Mark felt uncomfortable with that or something. We're not told, we just know he bailed. But Paul and Barnabas keep going. They come back to Jerusalem and they tell everybody, hey, the spirit of God is filling people and changing their lives. All kinds of people, God's knitting together this family. It's unbelievable. And everyone's so excited. They're like, well, keep going. Let's go back again. And so Paul and Barnabas, this dream team, were like, let's go back out. Let's go. And Barnabas is like, okay, I'll get Mark. And Paul's like, huh? No, no. Kids, sell out. He ain't coming. And in Acts 15, it says, now Barnabas wanted to take with them. John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take them. One who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Who is Mark? Mark is the guy who broke up the dream team. Paul and Barnabas separated over this punk kid who bailed, right? Controversial. Paul moves on and the, and the Bible kind of follows his story. But then later on, you see Peter mention Mark and he calls Mark my son. Now, Peter had stayed at Mark's house. We find out in the book of Acts that they knew each other. And, and here, Peter hadn't given up on Mark. Barnabas is caring for him. Peter reaches out to him. Something's going on with him. And then in 2 Timothy, at the very end of Paul's life, the last letter he wrote, he writes to Timothy, get Mark and bring him with you because he's useful to me for service. And you see, at the end of Paul's life, the Mark whom he was frustrated at and was willing to part with Barnabas over is now a Mark. He says, bring him with you because I want to minister alongside of him. Where we are in this book is right in mid-reconciliation where Paul looks and says, Hey guys, Mark's coming. Yeah, that Mark. And when you see him, welcome him. Don't cast him out. See, some of you, the first half of this sermon has been very motivating because you've been looking for a church. You want to get involved in a community. And when I say, man, we're a community, you're like, that's right. We are brothers, sisters. I'm like, we got a cause. You're, like, you're darn right. We do. Let's go change the world. And I said, we bring courage into each other. You're like, I've been waiting for someone to give me permission to do that. And you are just so excited about serving Jesus and his people in the world. And others of you would have been way more comfortable at the club than you are in this building. And you go, man, I barely came in here and thought about 40 times about leaving. Before, during, and mid-sermon. Because you don't know what I've done. And you don't know who I am. And if you did, you would not want me here. 
And I got to tell you something. We have a message of reconciliation. To concile. Yeah. Conciliatory means I take the hostility away. I take the pain away. And I bring peace back. That's what Jesus did. He came to a world that had rebelled against God and said, no, I'm bringing my peace with me. And even though you crucify me, I'm still breathing peace to you. We are not a cancel culture. We are a conciliatory culture. I don't want to see my enemy destroyed. I want to see Saul's become Paul's. I want to see Mark's that are rebellious and running away become the Mark who wrote the first gospel record of Jesus Christ. That's who that mark is. So I don't know who you are, and I don't know what you've done, but the power of Jesus is too strong for your sin. You can't out his grace. You're not that tough. And you can't out-hate his love. You're not that strong. He can do amazing things if you let him. He turns rebellious marks into world-shaping marks, and he's got enough grace for you. And so let's be gracious people. Let's embody that. The world wants us to polarize and destroy. That is not the way of Jesus. Resentment is like silt in a riverbed. A couple grains of sand aren't going to change the course of a river. But if you let little resentments pile up, it'll change the course of a river and change the vibrancy of a field. If we become a church that little irritations, this person said that or that person did this, I don't really like this about her, and we let all that build up here, We will divert the stream of God's blessing and we'll kill this field. But if we decide we will not let resentment have a place here, we will not hold on to bitterness like sediment and let it block the flow of the movement of the Spirit of God, then he can do powerful things through us. There's no mark that's too far gone for people who are willing to receive and extend God's grace. You see it? We gotta go a little faster. Verse 11. And Jesus, who's called justice. Why is he called justice? Because probably can't be called Jesus anymore in the first century. Anyway, uh, just got too confusing. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me. So Paul says, hey, these guys are from the same background as me. Most of my team's not. Paul, we didn't get into this, but his team was from all different countries. He he referred in the letter of Acts uh, to Trophimus and Tychicus as the Asians. They were from modern-day Turkey. And he had guys from Berea and guys from Israel. And so it was a multinational movement that he's a part of. Same as us here. We're from all over the place in DC. And God knits us together as a family. And yet here he looks and says, hey, these are some of my brothers from, from the old school. He says, and they're a comfort to me. We comfort each other. It's a great word. We had a dear friend uh, have a medical emergency in his family. And my mind was like, man, we got to do something for him. And as soon as I thought that, I get a group text from him of the flowers that were sent to him by people from our church. And he was like, thank you all for the flowers. It meant so much to us. And I was like, oh man, I was at the stage of thinking we should do something. And somebody at our church was like, hey, if someone's in pain, we move. Uh, That's who we are. We comfort each other when life's hard. 
We agonize for each other. That's number five. You see it in verse 12. Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling uh, on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear witness, he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. This is the guy that planted the church and he had to go away. And they said about him, hey, he is struggling for you, striving for you, agonizing to serve and to teach you? Yes, while well, he was there. But even when he's away, he's agonizing in prayer over you, that he wants to see God move in your life. You ever had someone agonize in prayer over you? I'll be honest with you, many of you have, because I've had so many people come up to me and God finally broke the last bit of resistance at Passion City Church. And you've come forward and said, man, I want to walk with him. I want to know him. My grandma's been praying for me for years. She's going to be the first person I call because she did it. She won. (laughs) Her agonizing on her knees has brought her wayward child to this. (laughs) And many of you are beneficiaries of Epaphras in your life. Are you one? I wasn't for a long time. And I remember in ministry, I was like, you teach the word, explain it, you mobilize people, they serve. And I remember uh, this girl came on our team and she told me about uh, this uh, picture frame that was digital that she had in her uh, bathroom. And she said, when I get ready every morning, I put all of our people's pictures loaded in here. And every day I just flip to the next person and I spend all morning praying for them. She said, and I have Bible verses next to it. So if I don't know what to pray, I can pray these things about their life. I can pray that God would help them grow and mature in their confidence in the fullness of who they are in Christ. And I realized, oh, the power in our ministry is not primarily from my preaching. It's from your prayers. It's the agonizing of the megs of the world that kept us on mission. I had a couple come up to me at married night, just on the way out the door. They said, hey, we want you to know, we saw that you hit your knees and pray and ask us to pray for you every Sunday. I just want you to know, we get on our knees now and pray too for you. And I was like, that is the most meaningful thing you could say. But I know as a pastor, that sounds like it. Oh, prayer is the most meaningful thing you can do. But I really, as I said that, I'm like, that is profound that you would do that. How would you feel if someone was doing that for you? If they just texted you and said, hey, I got on my knees, physically put my phone down, stepped away from it, knelt and prayed for you, not just for me, but for you. How would that make you feel? That's powerful. What if you did it for somebody else? Try it just once this week and see if it doesn't help you feel like you're a bit more on mission in the world, that we agonize for each other and we keep doing it. We remain faithful. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. We are faithful. Luke was with Paul to the end. The beloved physician probably keeping Paul's beat up body alive. Demas greets here. That's another story at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy He says, Demas has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas is still within the ranks here, but he's the apostle Paul's Judas. He won't stay. And it's interesting that here in Colossae, before who he is has come out, he's paired together with Luke. Luke, who was always there. Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke and the letter of the Acts that was always using the language we. He was with Paul through his whole life, right up until the end, keeping him alive in prison. Luke was there with Paul. And yet Demas wasn't. It's a picture of do you want to be faithful or not? Demas means popular. And I remember I had a minister tell me long ago, Ben, the decision will come to you many times in your life. Do you want to pursue the Lord or do you want to pursue being liked? And I want to be like Luke, 
not Demas. Uh, Donna was texting with a friend the other day, a couple that's in ministry, and the friend said to her, this generation loves Jesus until he challenges their comfort. It's like, ooh, okay, you said it. So I'll just quote you. But um, it's a good question. Will I walk with Jesus even when he challenges me, even when he pushes on me? You don't want a God who happens to agree with everything you agree with. You want one that pushes you because it'll make you better. And when it gets hard, you stay. We're hospitable. That's verse 15. Give my greeting to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Nympha, there's a little controversy behind this. It could be a man's name, could be a woman's name. The, the pronoun makes you think it's a girl because the way Greek works, it could be different, but it looks like Nympha, short for Nymphadora, which uh, was also in Harry Potter. Um, but um, it's just for a handful of you, that meant a lot. But... <laughs> He says, say hi to her in the church that's in her house. Isn't that great? That some of you have preaching gifts and teaching gifts. Some of you uh, are great on a stage. You're like a Toby, can light up, hand me a mic, I light up the room. Some of you have worship gifts and musical gifts. Some of you have none of these upfront gifts, but you can pray. And that's the part you'll never forget. Or others of you go, man, I don't have any of that, but I'm going to lunch after this. Uh, one of the couples in our church, just I found out routinely, they just know Sundays, we're in the city, we're inviting someone to lunch and they started taking whole groups to lunch. I'm like, this is like an unofficial lunch bunch that's going everywhere all over DC. It's amazing. Our church is being built by the faithfulness of a couple that's just being hospitable. You don't have to be talented. You just gotta be available. And here you see this church was meeting at Philemon's house uh, and uh, Priscilla and Aquila, three of the churches met at their house. You don't have to be skilled. You just have to be available and God can use you. Verse 16, and when this letter has been read among you, have it read among the church of Laodicea. I love that. We're a global church. We care about the big C church. Uh, I love it as we, Easter, you know, the last place we met uh, uh, was the National Mall. And uh, yeah, it was kind of fun. Uh, I got texts. I was texting back and forth at Easter. Pastor, do that. How's it looking over there? You know, that kind of stuff. I got wonderful, encouraging texts back and forth with Mark Dever, whose church is right down the street here, and Mark Batterson. And we were just texting each other, cheering each other on. We got here because a pastor in the church uh, in the city, retired T.L. Rogers, knew we had a venue issue, and he said, I know a guy. Introduced me to Reverend Peeler. And we're here because people care more about the advancing of the gospel than their little thing. And that's pretty cool. And we want to be a church like that. We're a place of accountability. Verse 17, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. Man, that's tough to be Archippus. Can you imagine being called out by name? If one of the points in my sermon was like, before we moved on, this next point's entitled, what Bob did. Go ahead and stand up, Bob. Uh, you'd be like, uh-oh. Everyone would suddenly be like, is it hot in here? Hey, Archippus, yeah, he's talking about me. Get it done. Okay, yes, sir, thanks. All right, will do. You think he fulfilled the ministry he'd received from the Lord? I guarantee you, there was some quick stepping from Archippus after this. Woo! Uh, many of us know it. You won't be successful in a diet. You won't be successful in working out. You won't be successful in anything without accountability. We're not gonna do it from on stage, but we have community groups firing up in a few weeks and fight clubs coming up. That's where we get to be a part of each other's lives and help each other advance as human beings under God. We're meant to be a community that challenge each other to be better. And yet we do it, and here's where we're closed. We do it as people of grace. 
Verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. He would sign at the end. And he says, remember my chains, grace be with you. I love that because it's just a little hint of Paul's frailty. The great apostle Paul is there in prison and he's preaching the gospel and joy in the Lord and God's using me. And then at the end, he was like, hey, but don't forget about me. That the, even the mighty Paul says, will you pray for me? Will you remember me when I'm hurting? And then he says, and grace be with you too. Because we all need it. Some of you are so put together, you don't know what to do with all your success. Some of us, this year has unmade you and you don't know how to progress the, other, the next day. But all of us are in need of grace. And the good news is it's available in the person of Jesus. You don't have to come in here put together. You don't have to come in here perfect. The prerequisite to become a person of God is to admit your need. I need him. I need you. That's the entry point, that Jesus pays it all. That's how this works. He took all my sin onto his shoulders and he takes all his grace and puts it on me. That's the kindness of God. There's an author I love, uh, Sebastian Younger. Not a Christian. I just like his writing style. I like the way he writes. I, I read almost everything he's written. I was listening to an interview with him just recently. He almost died. Had an aneurysm, didn't know about. Healthy guy, hit the ground. And he was processing in this interview. He's like, the craziest thing is, I didn't know I was dying at that moment. But as I hit the ground and discovered later, I was bleeding out. He said, my father came to me. He said, I saw a pit open up in the ground and I was terrified and everything in me said, don't go into the pit. And my dead father showed up and began to speak to me. He said, somehow they got me to a hospital and I lived. And the interviewer asked him, what does the pit mean? He says, I don't know. And he said, but while I was in the hospital, I was terrified of the fact that I could die at any moment. He said, and then a nurse came to me and said, maybe you shouldn't think about that moment with such terror. But think about the moment of sacred because you didn't die. And he said, and I think about it that way. He said, I'm not spiritual, I'm not religious, but that moment was holy. That I was at the foot of death and I survived. He said, I lived. And now I'm trying to understand it. He said, the crazy thing was 36 hours before I had a dream, I was gonna die and lose my family. And I asked, no. And he said, it was like my body was warning me in a dream that death was at my door. He said, I woke up that day and for months, the fire chief who was a friend was telling me to clear your driveway because your brush and your long driveway could keep an emergency vehicle from ever getting in. And I thought, well, who cares if an emergency vehicle can get in? He said, but I woke up that day and was like, you know, today's the day to tackle that driveway. He said, so I spent all day clearing the driveway and then I hit the ground. And the only reason that fire truck got to me was because I had finally cleared that driveway. He said, I wasn't even supposed to be out there. He said, being warned, being met, coming out of this moment. He said, I'm so grateful to be alive. I'm so grateful to be spared. I didn't deserve any of this. And he said, and I don't know who to thank, but I'm trying to figure it out. And I'm listening to this like, you're so close, bro. <laughs> he has a name. 
And he says, I don't know what life's about. He said, I don't know if I'm religious at all, but I know there's great purpose to this and it has something to do with belonging. It has something to do with being a part of something bigger than myself. And I'm like, yes, it does. <laughs> and you are weak and you are frail and you will die. But God in his mercy has made a way, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done, that grace has come to us. And even today you can say yes to it and come to life. And when you come alive into the family of God, you don't just belong to him, you belong to us and we belong to you. You have a family that will hurt when you hurt, that will breathe courage into you when you're failing, that will challenge you when you need corrected and that will walk with you as we fulfill God's purpose for our lives. That's who we are in this city. That's who we're gonna be. That's who we're gonna be right here at Seventh Day on Capitol Hill and wherever else God calls us. That's who we are. We're his church by his grace. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast.